On this episode of the Three Beers, Two Guys, One Movie Podcast, the gang gives their marquee picks for their favorite sports movies of all time, and then we have a special interview with college basketball analyst and Fox Sports radio host, Mr. Aaron Torres, where we discuss college basketball, and he matches some current coaches to their movie character counterparts. So, let's go! Podcast, the uh, always fun, always buzzed, and always incredibly insightful movie review podcast. I'm Matthew Scott. I'm joined as always by Mr. Preston Barnes, Mr. Rod Budman, and our newest addition, Mr. Joe Fine, to the show. Uh, how are we doing tonight, guys? You guys ready to talk a little bit of some movies? How are we doing? How are we doing? Yeah. Uh, so Joe's the most vocal member of the show now. Um, so <laughs> tonight, so tonight we actually have a really, really hot episode, a really, really fun episode. New special. We got an interview, our first interview on the show tonight. We're interviewing uh, Aaron Torres, who's a leading college basketball analyst for Fox Sports. I know he's not 100% into movies, but hey, guess what? We got somebody interesting on, so we're going to use it. Uh, but to add on, before we do the interview, what we're going to do, as always, we're going to ask you guys who listen, all the loyal listeners. Uh, We've actually got an uptick in these reviews because I've been begging so much before each show. But if you can, if you listen to the show and you like the show, please go and review the show on iTunes or whatever. It helps us so much. Give us five stars. Uh, write something down. Really, really helpful and to make us feel better. But before we get to the interview, what we're going to do tonight, since Aaron Torres is involved in college sports and sports in general, we're going to give our favorite sports movies picks, our top three sports movies picks. I'm sure we're all going to have tons and tons of crossover or whatever, but we'll debate. We'll have fun. We'll have a lot of good picks. So who wants to go first? This is Joe. This is your first official show as an official member. You want to kick us off with your picks for your first pick for your favorite sports movie? Your third favorite, whatever. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, <laughs> my third favorite movie probably will be Major League. It's a classic baseball film with Tom Berenger, Charlie Sheen, Wesley Snipes, uh, the AT&T commercial guy, Dennis Haysbert's in that film, um, came out in 1989. So we were all, you know, that was one of the movies we first saw when we think of sports movies. So Bob Euchre's awesome in that film. He's the oh, yeah. uh, Milwaukee Brewers radio guy today, or I think he may have not have retired, but I mean, he's one of the funniest uh Dude, there's got to be one of the funniest sports movies. Do you out listen there. to Howard Stern? I don't really even listen to Howard Stern, but there's a really funny like segment with uh, Norm Macdonald and Artie talking about Bob Uecker and how filthy he is outside the radio booth. Have you guys seen? Oh that? my gosh, yeah, dude, that was one of the funniest things. He, he would say, you know, 
And the 3-1 pitch to Smith just a bit outside. Yeah, check the check out the hooters on that broad. He <laughs> and they'd yes. be like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then, you know, the the, the thing about, like, think about John Fogarty, he's like, you see that right down there? That's John fucking Fogarty. You know who that is? He's a fucking rock star. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know who John Fogarty is. Yeah, yeah, he played all that shit. You want me to come get him up here to sing the national anthem for you, you fuckers, or something like that? It's just like this crazy crazy interview about like bob Euchre and how absolutely filthy he is and how he can turn on being a filthy old man during the whole broadcast how he can alternate back and forth with it. it's actually pretty like fascinating but also incredibly funny at the same time <coughs> would he do like the uh like, like would he say it online or would he cover up the mic kind of deal and say he had a, just they said he had a mute button like a little button so he'd be like and it's the three two yeah, pitch and blah button. blah blah yeah cough button and he'd press <laughs> a button like he would three two pitch and he'd press the button and be like look at the jugs on that chicken he's like and it's foul and like it's just like this constant thing where he's being the it probably he's done it so much that he's so bored that that's a way of entertaining himself i imagine because you know like I, I guess if you do 162 games a year you got to sort of spice it up a little bit yeah wasn't so renee russo was also in that was it was Randy Quaid, was he in the first one or the second one as like the annoying fan? I thought he was, he was in uh, the first one. He said, oh, just bring in the bulldozer to turn this place into a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to get Randy Quaid back on the, back on the silver screen. Isn't he yeah. off the grid right now? Doesn't he like live in like think rural like New Mexico and just doesn't talk to anyone? I like to think he was RV and outside of life. <laughs> where he had all the money. He's the mayor. My favorite is not another teen movie, personally, of his roles. But <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot he's in that. Because <laughs> right. oh, I'll be drinking, but I'll be way too drunk to pick you guys up. <laughs> All right, so we're, before we get bogged down with some of the stuff from all this major league stuff, Rod, do you want to go with your number three pick? Uh, yeah, my number three pick also has an all-star studded cast that includes um, Superman's dad, Madonna, Rosie oh, yeah. McDonald, oh. Gene Davis, and none other than Mr. Tom Hanks, League of Their Own. Just one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it was, it was great pick, Bubba. Still love that movie. Kit, in, uh, the, the urination scene is probably one of my favorite ones. And I must not have been like steeped in like baseball movie culture, but I, I've not seen Major League. I've not seen a League of Their Own, even though I know the famous line about there's no crying in baseball. And I also haven't seen Bull Durham. So it's like, I feel like I've never, the only like famous baseball movie I've seen probably is like Angels in the Outfield and uh, <laughs> and what, what, Field of Dreams or whatever. But so I'm sorry, I, I gotta, I'm left out of this one. But go ahead. Anybody else love uh, League of Their Own? Oh, League of Their Own is a classic. Um, I, I took a, a trip to Cooperstown when I was little, and I definitely watched that on the way up there. And uh, when he signs, when Tom Hanks signs the the ball for the little kid, he says, "Stay away from the clap, Jimmy Dugan." <laughs> he said, when the kid runs off, and he's like, "Well, that's good advice." <laughs> I've always wanted to sign that on anybody who wanted my autograph. <laughs> I, I need to go back and watch that. Like missed out prior. I'm sure there's a lot of things I missed out on the first time around because I did not catch the clap uh, when I first watched it. 
that's pretty there's tons of movies you watch as kids and you realize there's so much more sexual innuendo that you pick up on as an adult or even a teenager that when you watched as a kid you had no idea what was going on so it's like maybe your parents are sort of silently giggling because they didn't want to like let you pick up on it Uh, absolutely (laughs) yeah there's so many uh, famous actresses in that in that in that in that movie too yeah all right so rod's uh abandoning this pick and we're gonna go to preston here preston your third favorite sports movie of all time um my third favorite um if that's how we're gonna put it is um about a country with a bobsled team fuck you (laughs) no sorry (laughs) and that it would be cool runnings a classic Disney film. Um, just an awesome sports film. I mean, it's it's a heartwarming tale, of course, of a lowly, uh, undervalued Jamaican bobsled team, which is, I guess, supposed to be funny in itself, who uh, get the help of, a, of an old, I guess, retired bobsledding legend played by the late, great John Candy. And um, I'm sure y'all have all seen this, but it's just such a fun, it's just a fun film, you know? It's just great. All the characters are great. It's the music's so good. Music's just like constantly happy. And um, John Candy's great. It's just, yeah, so good. Uh, There's so many quotable moments in that movie, but I'll let go. Joe, did uh, you got something to say? Because I really do. I love that movie so much. That was going to be one of my picks. We could think I've got tons of reserves. So (laughs) go for it. Yeah, uh, Preston, I'm glad you picked that film. Um, That was one of my favorite growing up. Um, Doris Bannock, just (laughs) an absolute stud. If you had to pick any, you know, like your top five athletes overall, you know, to get the job done, I'm picking Doris. Yeah, Doris was laser focused. Just what was the other? So there was Sanka, obviously, who's the most memorable one, who yeah. had so many great lines, so many great scenes. The part yeah. when he got frozen in the ice cream thing when he was singing his song, the yeah. part where he crashes his uh, push cart or whatever at the very beginning, uh, his like his lucky egg or whatever, and also like he's the one who comes up with the uh, what's the what's the thing they do at the end? Because at first they're trying to copy the Swiss, but then like Sanka's the one who comes up with the end. He's like, Rod, I feel like you know it each other in the ass no, no, other in the he, he comes up with a little haiku to send them off yeah it's it's yeah. like uh something something that's bobsled time what rod do you know you remember that i feel like I you goes, always feel the rhythm oh yeah feel the rhythm i also love that like it's another thing which is going to be a movie that i pick but it's that they uh <laughs> there's always that sort of like nordic uh eastern european like white so i think what's the what's the bad well, who are the bad guys in this is it the it's not the swiss it's like the finland swiss. or something no the swiss are who they idolize but i think the guy who they like is the asshole is like finnish or is it or is it swedish no i think no i think the the, the real asshole dude he's swiss okay he is <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's swiss. They're, they're swiss you don't belong here jamaica like he, i don't yeah. even think that's a real accent but it's really it's really ridiculous <laughs> There's that one guy that I'm pretty sure is Canada's coach that brings up that like John Candy was going to win the Olympics, but it turns out he cheated. That's the whole thing is he's like, he was banned. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. Right. And he's banned from like North America. Yeah, he America. put weights in the front of the sled. Yeah, he tried to overweight and then like, so eventually his shame led him to just put weight on his body instead of in the sled because he became so fucking fat. 
the other the other character that's real memorable is Junior. <laughs> the scene when his dad's like, "You're coming home," and he's like, "No, I'm not coming home, Dad." <laughs> well, uh, well, he wants him to work for Webster, Webster, and Cohen. And Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> But no, you're right, Rod. The, the one of the best moments is where uh, the the bald guy, who's sort of the tough bald guy, who comes from like the working class part of Jamaica or whatever, and so they, he's sort of the foil with Junior, who comes from like the upper class part. And the 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 bald guy, I forget his name or whatever, but he has to teach Junior how to be tough. And remember, like they stand in front of the mirror, and he's like, "I see pride, I see power, I see a well, I forget the rest of whatever this. I see a yeah. no talk nobody who don't take no shit off of nobody." And then they go and <laughs> had that huge bar fight with the uh, like I said, the rival bobsledding teams. Another classic moment from Sanka too, oh, who's line dancing with like some hot chick. <laughs> Sanka, it's like Sanka. Sanka. <laughs> But by the way, that guy was so funny. Like he never really got any more huge Dougie roles. Dougie, Dougie, Doug, Dougie, Doug, Dougie Fresh. Yeah, Dougie, Doug? Doug, yeah. Dougie Fresh. Yeah. What else has he been in? Am I missing out or what? He's also his name hour. was Sanka Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think we got so much to say about uh, Cool Runners. We do have to move on a little bit. So I want to move to my third before anyone takes this. I did mention this the text message last night, but I'm going with my ducks two. Um, <clears throat> the world championship with uh, Emilio Estevez, obviously the second s- movie in the classic Mighty Ducks franchise, uh, <laughs> where you know the bad guys again, like I said, they're some sort of like Nordic, Eastern European, Icelandic people. I think the guy, the bad guy's name is uh, what's it, Rod? Do you know? It's like something the dentist. Do you remember that? Like he, uh, okay, never mind. Maybe you're not as familiar with the franchise as I am, but he does like uh, doesn't he hack? Emilio Estevez while they're actually trying to coach one time or something like that, like hacks him in the bad leg, or am I still like misremembering some of this stuff? Yeah, it was when Gordon Bombay, they were in um they were in college and Bombay could have gone pro, but you know, he was he was sliced on the knee by uh or he was hooked. I'm not sure what the specific term of art is in hockey, but you know, hurt <laughs> his knee and so he couldn't play anymore. Oh yeah, so he like he ended his career in Mighty Ducks too. Yeah, exactly. And and when they uh, Gordon Bombay is taking the Ducks to practice in Dallas, I believe, or like the stars are on the ice before them, and a couple of Mike Madonna comes off the <laughs> uh, ice and is like, "Hey man, I can get you a tri- I can get you a tryout for our uh, <laughs> our semi pro team if you uh, if you want it." So was the Oh, his name is Wolf Stanson, but it's Wolf the Dennis Stanson. But uh, yeah, you're right. No, it is. It's a ridiculous all sorts of backstory that Gordon's going to be like uh, trying to be like a pro, <laughs> but it's the dentist, like it, which makes I don't know what that means unless it's some sort of hockey term because they all don't have like teeth or they all lose teeth. I don't know if that's the thing. Like, oh man, he's the dentist because he knocks people's teeth out or something oh, like yeah. that. But he has that like traditional like bad guy look, where it's like slicked it's back hair. Punch in the face. <laughs> Such an asshole. No, uh, but it is great. I mean, uh, for for whatever reason, Disney felt they needed to like demonize one of the like the nicest countries in the world, like peaceful <laughs> country in Iceland. They're like, let's just make Iceland the biggest assholes in the world. <laughs> For like, no reason the, or whatever. Give him the slick back hair, give him that really cold look. Yeah. <laughs> Never smiling. 
Also, it's like the the amount of competition and seriousness they're talking about, like junior high hockey, as if it's like the end of the world, like the world depends on it. I know that coaches all get wrapped up in what they're doing or whatever, but for it, when you watch the movie, you do have to like sort of take a step back and go, have oh, these are just like 13 year olds kind of like competing. It's not that big of a deal. So just stop acting like it's too big. <laughs> oh, and the way that's filmed, that it, it seems like Bob Costas is doing the play by play. You know, it's 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 great. Yeah, well, they also have to like it, it, they like Gordon Bombay has to do Did his you guys classic. Think that, uh... <laughs> oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> All right, so like, yeah, I was gonna ask if you guys thought that Connie Moreau was was hot. Is Connie the Iceland chick that he falls in love with, or is it uh, the teacher chick? There's a girl on the team. No, she's she's on the team. Oh, you're talking about Connie? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yes, so... that question is yes. <laughs> Uh, Julie the cat becomes really attractive in the third movie. I don't know if you remember that. That's who I'm talking. Yeah, about. exactly. Who who, oh, was the, that... who who was hotter is the real question. Okay, yeah. so there were two. This is because the cast does lose a few people, and I I just didn't know who you were talking about. So in the first movie, there's that one chick who's like who's on the team, but I don't remember if she's on the team in the second movie. Is that what is that what you're saying? Is it the girl? She is indeed. She is indeed. She, uh, Connie Moreau was number eighteen, and Julie the Cat Gaffney was number six. Okay. Yes. Yeah, well, so Julie... for Julie. Yeah, I'd probably vote for Julie too. But w- as far as you were, uh, I guess what I was interpreting your question as, because remember, Gordon ditches Charlie's mom. Obviously, Charlie's mom has nothing to do with it in the second movie, and he's going after the Iceland assistant coach, who's really pretty. But they, he also, I think, falls in love with like their like. The duck's teacher. Oh yeah, great. Right. So he's got like a little duality. Do I go with the super hot enemy or do I go with the more homely teacher? And it's eventually, obviously, sides on the good side instead of sort of taking them. Yeah. The sweet, sweet villainous ass. It causes it causes a rift in the team if you don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 find they see him getting ice cream with the Iceland chick, and it causes a little dissension. All right. Um, all right, so that's enough about D2. We don't need to spill too many words on that. So I'm going to move on. My number two, um, I know someone's going to have this one. So I'm going to go with Remember the Titans, Denzel Washington's, I think probably my favorite role that he's ever been in or whatever, the most inspirational movie at least uh, I've ever seen in my life. Um, great movie, probably pretty uh, pertinent in the current uh, <laughs> political climate right now. But uh, like I said, Fantastic movie, always rewatchable, always fun to watch, always easy to watch. Doesn't feel like there's any boring moments in it. Always so many scenes after scenes that you sort of are looking forward to. Um, just overall great movie, good family fun. I agree. <laughs> this is a good movie. I don't know that's Denzel's like best role, but I mean, it was certainly uh, one of his most memorable. Um, Maybe I was just being hyperbolic, but again, I think sometimes Denzel Washington, he's the same person in a lot of movies, so you could almost mix and match that character. Oh, man, at the end when... uh, (laughs) Yeah, at the end when the guy gets paralyzed, that man, that was one of the more heart-wrenching... Bertier? Bertier, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Bertier. Dude, they just win the biggest game of their, like, season, and then he does this sort of, like, I'm celebrating my friends or whatever. He does this, I'm pressing the gas, like, to go through the red light or something. I don't remember if it's his fault or not, but whatever. He does something really stupid. It's really sad. I almost, <laughs> you do that thing when you watch movies over and over again, you almost sort of wish that 
it's going to change magically before your eyes. Like they're going to edit something out and it never actually happens or whatever. But yeah, I always wish that he never gets paralyzed, but. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a true story, right? Yeah, it's based on a true story. Um, how, how true the events are. I don't know. I haven't taken out like the actual facts of the situation and compared it to the actual movie or whatever, but I think most of it's true. Yeah, I should probably do that and start my own uh, <laughs> shitty podcast that's really boring where I just go back and correct every single movie that's based on true story. That was one thing I did want to point that we did not mention is that um, just for a little bit of artistic creativity purpose. Artistic license, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, cool Runnings is a true story. Which <laughs> It is, yeah. I, I think also very loosely based that it is. I think some you were the joking. Only, the only part is they did not carry the sled. That's the only part, and then maybe a little bit of the backstory with especially Sanka. Are you sure? So we're we're not sure about the egg, though, right? <laughs> Everything else we're sure of. We're not sure if John Candy's character got incredibly bloated after he got kicked <laughs> out of the uh, USA yeah. Sled Society. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going there with that one. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll uh, move on from Remember the Titans. I think it wraps back to you, Preston, who his third pick was Cool Runnings. We'll go with your number two pick, Preston Barnes. Um, well, I'm a little torn here because I want to say this pick because I'm afraid someone's going to take it. So I'm going to go with uh, Talladega Nights. Uh-oh. That is one of my all-time favorites. Um, so many great characters in there. Uh, obviously, Will Ferrell with Ricky Bobby, um, but John C. Rowley, the Magic Man, Sasha Baron Cohen is in it. He's like the villain. Um, I forget his name. I know he's French, and they have a lot of French jokes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. I, all, all those Will Ferrell movies are hilarious. This one being a sports one, I, I don't really give a shit about NASCAR, but I, I thought it was hilarious how they depicted it and just the characters. And um, I, the, the one scene that just always cracks me up is when Will Ferrell's going through all of his endorsements and he's doing all the little controls <laughs> and he's trying to get them out rapid fire. And he just does, uh, obviously the big red one is really funny. And then he does some for like other countries. I think he does one for Japan and it's just like, you know, Will Ferrell is just... Prune candy. He's just making it up as he goes. Like, he's not speaking Japanese or whatever. He's just, he's just impro- improvising the entire uh, bit. It's just so funny. During that scene, what's the little bit where he talks about he doesn't know... Like, he, like, constantly keeps raising his hands into the film screen, yeah. like, into the screen. And they're like, no, no, just keep your hands down. And, like, he just, like, constantly... It's almost like they're, like, got... Helium balloons tied to him. They just keep on floating up and up, and he can't control his hands for whatever well, reason. After, yeah, well, it's after he gets, you know, he becomes like a, an actual professional. He's no longer working in the pit, basically, and and I think he either wins little known Jackman Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> wins, he wins or he does really well, and they interview him, and the whole time, yeah, he just his hands keep coming up, and he's like, I'm not, I'm not really sure what to do with my hands. <laughs> But it's one of those things that, like, he probably couldn't write, and it was just something that Will Ferrell easily just came up with on the spot yeah. and just knew that it would kind of be funny. Like, let's just have someone with, like, elevating hands over and over again. Yeah. He's probably, like, no, what, if, what, if, what if I just, like, let my hands just come <laughs> Is that funny? Yeah. Is that, we'll just do that. I don't know what to do in an interview. <laughs> 
yeah there's just a lot of so many great scenes and also just the family dynamic between like like his family and having those kids who are hilarious um and uh like the his, you know super hot smoking wife and her dad who lives with them chip i think is his name and they have those like hilarious dinner table scenes or lunch table scenes where he just orders a shit ton of taco bell and then just the funniest thing where his best friend just throughout seamlessly through the film as Ricky Bobby <laughs> declines, John C. Riley's character just you know assumes his family and basically is <laughs> <laughs> married to his, his wife. And it's just the funniest thing. Every time they have conversations over the phone, they like start hating each other, but then they all of a sudden just have this moment where they're like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Like, oh wait, shit, I hate you. Uh, it's just a lot of good a lot of good Will Ferrell stuff. Yeah, I think that was like part of like when Will Ferrell was really on a roll in terms of making like movies that you sort of you had to see. I don't know, like it was almost did that come after Anchorman and then like pre maybe semi pro or it's like and like and then there were Step Brothers in between. But there was like four or five movies where Will Ferrell was really really yeah. on the mark. I remember I remember seeing the preview for that and being like, oh my god, I have to see that movie kind of thing because he was just like such on a roll. And I, um, yeah, it didn't didn't disappoint. I don't know if it's like one that's not. I don't think it's my favorite Will Ferrell movie or whatever. But he definitely was sort oh, of. Man. He was definitely one. Of, I think he was like easily the biggest biggest in the game at that point. <laughs> yeah, I will say. I mean, this Saladay Nights certainly overshadowed what you were just bringing up. Semi Pro, but Semi Pro, I thought was as funny, if not funnier, at times. I mean, that movie's just hilarious, and it's also got another great cast. And um, if you haven't seen that definitely see it the, the poker table scenes are so funny they're like, i mean I'll, I'll just go back and watch that scene on youtube anytime i get a chance like it's just it's got like tim meadows um it's got little arnett andy daly's in there arnett, yeah and, yeah and, and it does, what's the name of the guy who like is the referee i forget his name like his actual name but he's hilarious he's in so many great funny things like improv wise oh, he's uh, in veep he's mike and veep matt walsh <laughs> yeah matt walsh <laughs> He's, yeah, he's great. He's like a he's like a pastor referee. Yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, we'll he, move on. He's in um, old school too. Yeah. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. He's real funny. All right. So we'll move on to. Uh, so is it? It's Rod's turn. Rod, your second pick. Go for it. My second pick is the best Salisbury steak I've ever had. <laughs> of the year. I love it. Uh, what's your favorite nickname that they that the uh, coach says to uh, to old Roland Gardner there? <laughs> um, Hosen Gardner, <laughs> the rabid boozer. <laughs> well, who's the coach? I can't remember Not the coaches. Who? Not Danny Glover. <laughs> Danny Glover is the coach in Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, but they look kind of exactly. similar. Uh, but Ross, got, Dan- got Daniel Stern in there. Is uh, does he play like Brickma or whatever? He's the pitching coach. Yeah, melt the ice cubes. <laughs> and he gets that. I mean, I think I've used this in previous previous podcast past um, when he gets entrapped between the hotel door <laughs> and he gets entrapped in the um, like the sun- David Sunflower Seed Closet. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's definitely incredibly, incredibly funny. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Chet Stedman still, I think, is the fun. I mean, he's hey, not I like, believe he's, the um, 
Go for it. The uh, the the manager is na- the actor's name is Albert Hall, and he is from Brighton, Alabama. Well, so he really moved on up in the world from going from Brighton, Alabama, to head coach of the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> without without Sal any type, yeah, without any type of like weird handicap that allowed him to pitch 120 miles an hour. Isn't uh, <laughs> isn't Gary Busey the the pitcher, right? Yeah, he's like the old yeah, pitcher who's sort of like the old pro, and he's sort of declining. The rock. And, yeah, yeah. I just find it hilarious that Gary Busey was actually ever in movies. <laughs> he actually won Best Picture for a, like our Best uh, Actor for the Buddy Holly movie. I mean, I just I associate Gary Busey uh, pretty much. I guess after Rookie of the Year, like I mean, he just. He just plays crazy people because he is crazy. He's in, I think he was in Black Sheep. Well, I think most people associate him with Point Break. Shit, that's right, yeah. So we were talking about Keanu Reeves before the podcast, but yeah, Point Break, I think is, at least to me, I feel like is his most quotable quotable movie, if that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, but he is crazy in that. He's sort of like the crazy FBI agent who's kind of old over the hill, who's sort of like, trying to teach the young by the book rookie agent that like you don't always have to play by the rules kind of thing but yeah he's right. a little he's a little wild in that too uh but yeah uh definitely love chet steadman and his his knowledge on airplane food and salisbury steak classic classic <laughs> <laughs> what i mean what and he, and he winds up of course getting with uh the rookie's mom so yeah you know, win-win <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap back to Joe. Joe, your number two favorite sports movie. It feels like forever ago that we were talking about Major League, but it's number two for you. Yeah, let's let's shift gears a little bit and do a golf movie. It's oh, a God. Caddyshack, the oh. 1980 classic. Damn, <laughs> um, Joe. You know, it was the first movie I saw boobs in. <laughs> written by Harold Ramis. Um Really, just a coming-of-age film for for most of us. Chevy Chase, Ronnie Dangerfield, Bill Murray, and Michael O'Keefe. Um, You're not even gonna like name the actress whose boobs you saw, Jim. Well, I, you know she she didn't make the starring list. So <laughs> I don't have her off the top of my head. I don't know her name either. But uh, what's the, what was her actual name in the film? I think it was like Lacey Underalls, which is just so so wild and so just over the top. <laughs> Isn't it, isn't it Lacey Underalls or is it something else? It's something yeah. complete. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild. But go ahead. <laughs> Rod feels, it looks like no, he's like no, never what, seen this what movie. What do you guys think about character. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 hilarious movie. Obviously, I, I, like I, I probably haven't seen it in a while, but uh, to me, I think, I think everyone maybe, I shouldn't say everyone should agree, but I think Bill Murray is the one who sort of just steals the show in terms of if you haven't seen the movie in your memory, you sort of fall back on his his character even though it's sort of like one of those things i'm not this is completely different tonally movies or whatever tonally associated movies but like i think bill murray's only in that movie for like 10 to 15 minutes just like hannibal lecter's only in silence of the lambs for like 10 minutes but in in some ways they actually both sort of steal the show and both have the most memorable moments and most, most memorable scenes <coughs> like his uh what's the, I mean, what's yeah, the one where and, he's like talking about bill the, murray but when he's like fantasizing about being like the master's champion or whatever and doing like the what's like hitting those flowers or whatever, I feel like everyone sort of quotes that. Everyone sort of does that when they get a golf club in their hand if they've seen that movie. Yeah. 
Also, Chevy Chase, like the putting scene or the. <laughs> na, 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 na. Yeah. Night putting. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's. Um, you know, in this film, was uh, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis kind of had a big falling out on the set of this movie. Um, and they yeah. didn't really speak to each other for like 10 or 20 years. And. Um, when Harold Jesus. Ramos was kind of on his deathbed, Bill came in with like a, you know, a dozen donuts and a, I was reading in a police escort and was just, you know, wanted to like make amends. I don't know. It was, it was, it was crazy <laughs> that I read that, but. Which one is Harold anyway. Ramos one of the stars or is he just the writer? Who, which one, who's Harold Ramos? He, he wrote <laughs> the film. He was in Ghostbusters. He, he was, Ghostbusters. he's, um, he's, he was uh, in uh, Stripes Hank, with, um, with Bill Murray. Okay. And he's uh he also plays um Seth Rogan's dad in Knocked Up. Do you remember that? Oh, okay. Yeah, he He passed he did, away. He did of, Animal House. I mean just Yeah, exactly. I mean he Harold Ramis is about uh synonymous with like comedy for the last few decades as, as anyone. I mean he's he's always played a part in some of these big uh, movies and he's also I mean he's I think he's had some work in like drama and some other genres as well I mean, he's he was very uh very beloved he's the a-list comedy writer yeah. yeah yeah okay so I need to just get him on my need to know list all right <laughs> so we'll uh we'll move on from Ken check I feel like we've uh gone just talked a little long about some of these stuff so Joe we'll go to your number one then we'll go all wrap back around to everyone else's number one movie so Joe just said Ken check your number one favorite or best sports movie however you're trying to describe it okay this is gonna be a little bit of a sentimental pick it probably won't be you know in cinema wise the greatest one but i'm gonna say the sandlot Um, (laughs) just uh just a great kids movie you could watch it with literally anybody from nine years old to 90 and they would (laughs) enjoy the movie Um, yeah what do you guys think uh, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I don't have too many memories of sort of like everyone in the neighborhood joining up or whatever. But in terms of I always have memories of like me and my brothers and sisters hitting balls over the fence with like neighbors with huge dogs or whatever. That's something that always, always resonated with me. Like where we always like jump over the fence and like sort of run away from the dog or yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that it, I will say that I love that film, but it did not do service to the Mastiff breed. <laughs> they are a very friendly breed. They don't particularly like the taste of baseballs. I don't think. Right? Wasn't, so wasn't, wasn't it a bull master basically? It was some huge ass dog that like had a very, very, very like uh, what do you want to say? Like tons of mucus hanging from its mouth or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and its father what, was James Earl Jones. Yeah, wasn't the dog's name like the Big Bambino or some shit? Or what was? Or no, the, that was something that keeps. It was the beast. It was, it was the, beast. the beast. Oh, okay. Isn't James Earl Jones supposed to be Willie Mays? <laughs> really? Uh, I, I think really? he was. He was I think so. Like, Didn't he play for the Yankees? I think it's supposed to be Willie Mays. That would yeah. be like a weird – look, it well, could happen. I don't remember. I haven't watched that movie, but that would be like a weird been. thing to sort of – because he didn't like live in like a really like cool – it would almost seem like, oh, let's make one of the most iconic baseball players sort of like live in sort of like – Maybe kind of a rundown sort of old house. Well, Matthew, ball players didn't make a lot of money back then. 
No, you're right. You're right. No, I, I don't know. It just feels like it, it does sort of like uh, romanticize the sport. It'd be odd to sort of like, oh, and we're going to be really gritty and true about Willie Mays' real financial condition. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just – maybe I'm played, definitely but... overthinking it. I'm overthinking it. I'm sorry. Rod, Rod no, I want to get into that because I don't remember that. Yeah. So what, what is, what's the evidence that, that he's Willie Mays? What, are you just sort of talking about I just – I used to think that he's an uh, Okay. It's he's not, not... – it's uh, <laughs> no, it was I, I think because Murdoch. Yeah. trying to discredit it here. I mean, movies are what you want to believe, and that's all the whole point of them. No, it's always in the audience's interpretation. Once the artist releases it, it's ours to interpret how we want. So, right, he, somehow he turns with Babe Ruth because he gets the ball. So. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, he has the whole ball signed by the 28 Yankees. That's why I was going to say that he may have been a Yankee if he was able to get all of his teammates to sign a ball. Well, Thelonious Myrtle, I think, was real based on what I'm seeing, but I don't, I don't know. I think he was, I don't know if he was in like major, like the, the professional league, but it looks like they base him, base him off of some um, old, like blind baseball player. Where does the Sandlot take place? Does it take place in California? I assume it does. Yeah, on yeah. the sandlot. <laughs> because because the one kid grows up to play for the the uh, Dodgers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. it's Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Benny the Jet Rodriguez, and, and the other kid like winds up being sort of the play by play announcer for the Dodgers. So yeah, I think it, I think it takes place somewhere in Southern California or whatever. You're so killing guess, these smalls. <clears throat> yeah, so I guess. Uh, do you play for the Yankees and then retired out in LA and just wanted to disappear from it all with a huge dog. <laughs> but Joe, but Joe, before we like move on, like, is it, it as a sentimental favorite, is there a certain scene that like you really resonate with, or is it just sort of like you grew up playing baseball kind of thing and with all your friends or how, how, how's it resonant with you personally? Um, yeah. I mean, I grew up playing baseball and that was, one of the movies that I, I kind of watched over at my grandparents' house. So there was one of the VHS tapes that was one of the few VHS tapes that was at my grandparents' house. So it was kind of a go-to <laughs> movie for when I was over there. And um, favorite scene of the movie probably was when the uh, all the Sandlot kids, they all got together and played the uh, the rich kids that had all the nice equipment and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, Are you talking about heavyweights? And that, that, was, that was my... <laughs> No, 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 no! In the uh, in the Sandlot, where yeah, they, they all go to the nice baseball field and beat yeah. the kids. Yeah, exactly. But there is a scene in Heavyweights, you know, where all the the uh, overweight kids and uh, team MVP comes over in that like nice air conditioned bus and whips their ass in baseball. Uh, <laughs> I think I think they's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move. Uh, I forgot who was it. So it doesn't really matter. So Rod or Preston? Who's it? Preston? I believe it's Budman. Budman, yeah. your final pick. I'm looking forward to this because you did ask if e- esports were included. So I think I know where you're going with this. Maybe. So Rod, your favorite or best sports movie? This one was really, really, really difficult, and I have three that I'd like to say, but I'm not. But I'm gonna have to go with Space Jam. <laughs> great one I mean it's the only time I've ever seen Larry Bird speak <laughs> he 
He was a uh, he was a noted mute for twenty. Years. <laughs> He's known as one of like the best trash talkers of all time, but he actually just did it with body language and sign yeah, exactly. Language. He talked. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard him speak like? No, this? well, no, no, no. It's just that people on the court knew he spoke, and uh, but we, we, the audience, never could actually hear anything. He, uh, there's that great scene in the Last Dance documentary, I forget which episode, where he's with Magic, um, and they're like back there, kind of like fucking around with uh, the Bulls in the Bulls locker room with like Mike and some other people, and and he has some kind of smart ass comment, but like in it, you can tell you're like, oh, this, like I could totally have seen him muttering a lot of like under, you know, under the breath, wh- like whatever, like trash talking during the, in the games. Back oh, in the, day. Uh, the best is when was when Michael beat him when he was the coach of the Pacers and they're walking off into the locker room and uh, <laughs> Michael looks at him and is laughing. He goes, see you next year, Larry. He goes, fuck you. Like go work on your golf game. Fuck you or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You get time to but go I, work on your golf game. Yeah. I feel, goes, like this is why, I feel like this <laughs> is why this is one of like Rod's favorites is because uh, Michael Jordan gets seeped into the animation world when he's playing golf so rod do you maybe sort of wish that when you draw when you're playing golf because i know you're an avid golf fan so like when you're playing golf you pick up your birdie inside the hole maybe bugs bunny like you know pulls you down under into a different universe so to speak and let's let's just maybe tickle rod's imagination a little bit do you think you could save the uh uh, the Bugs Bunny Team Space Jam or whatever from the uh, Monstars. Absolutely. I know you've got a nice, sweet three-point shot. I don't know if your ball handling is well, I love it because it, like, created that – do y'all remember, like, the Bricklayers versus the something else on MTV? They used to have that basketball game where they'd have, like, a regular goal and one, like, 25 feet high. And then, like, <laughs> I think they got that from Space Jam, but y'all may not remember it. Uh, I don't. I do not remember that. But wait, you're, you think Space Jam is, is is being based off of an MTV reality show? No, no. They started another. Sh- they started a show after. They used to do like a home run derby that have celebrities and like pro athletes, and then they'd have these basketball games. It was like the Bricklayers and someone else. <laughs> Hear me out. Uh, <laughs> I love that MTV show. <laughs> but no, uh, let's, uh, before we move on, I do want to talk about the Space Jam soundtrack because it was something that I feel like almost when you were a kid, because we that movie came out when we were all probably eight or nine years old or something like that, maybe, maybe a little bit older. I don't really remember the exact date it came out, maybe 11 or 12. But that first like song, like, hey, everybody get up, it's time to slam now. And, like it literally sort of just set the tone. And I, obviously Michael Jordan was like the biggest star at the time too. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of weird because I feel like, did we ever get, can, can you guys remember, maybe you guys can put me in the right direction because I can't think of it off the top of my head, but Michael Jordan was the biggest sports star in the world by far at the time. And then he made a movie and did we ever get that again? Like did any other sports stars really like sort of star in some like crazy movie like that between now and now they're making LeBron James or whatever, but I know sports stars have made appearances in movies, but never like to the extent that like starring in it like that. Uh, I can't remember. Can you guys? No, like, uh, no, Matthew. It's, it's it's interesting. You, yeah, you asked that because during the filming of Space Jam, Michael stipulated in his contract that they build him this state of the art workout facility and gym <laughs> so he could stay in shape 
for the season. And all of these NBA stars like Patrick Ewing and, um, you know, Reggie like Miller. all the Bulls, Reggie <laughs> Miller, they all came, they all flew out to this gym and they would like scrimmage during the summer. I mean, could you imagine being a fly on the wall and getting to watch all these guys play, you know, like summer pickup basketball? I mean, on the set, like he would go film during the day. And then at seven o'clock at night, you know, after dinner, they, they would run until like 1030. And that'd be some of the best basketball you could ever see. Dude, pickup games that they definitely were doing like weirder stuff and like more experiment, not experimental. That sounds like kind of weird, almost sexual, but like in terms of they would definitely were trying different things in terms of like crazy dunks and shots. And they oh, would yeah, do way actually, more loose. Yeah, way more loose. Uh, <laughs> so let's just pose this question real quick. I guess uh, if you could pick besides LeBron James or something like that, let's say between what they did with Space Jam, I guess that was in like the late 90s, 96, 97, or whatever, versus now it's 2020, they're going to do it with LeBron James. Could you see another athlete doing something that, like that? Like, like, could you see like Tiger Woods starring in some crazy movie or something like that? Because that's the only person that sort of, in terms of stardom and who, sort of who like I feel like is was the biggest person in the game, Lionel Messi or like Cristiano Ronaldo, I can't see anyone else really starting in a movie like that. Kawhi Leonard. I would have said Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I would have said Kobe yeah. for sure. <laughs> okay. So what's up? Because he's won an with... Academy Award. It'd have been Kobe Bryant. I mean, clearly Lee Trevino is the answer here. But... <laughs> he wasn't happy Gilmore, wasn't he? He, wa- he was. It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's move on from uh, Space Jam. That was Rod's first pick. And I guess we're going to move Preston's number one pick and then we'll do mine. We'll wrap it up or at least wrap up this segment. Go ahead. Uh, real quick, Matthew, what was your number two? Uh, my number two was Remember the Titans. So don't steal that one. It's funny. I guess you weren't, I I guess you weren't paying that. attention. I didn't remember those Titans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I mean, gosh, there's so many other ones to pick from. Uh, the Space Jam. That was a great pick there, Budman. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, I'm going to go with this was uh, another hilarious film about kind of an obscure sport, one that we grew up with in PE a lot. And I'm going with Dodgeball. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, classic movie that came out, I guess, when we were in college, whatever, but uh, super funny. Maybe one of Ben Silver's finest. I know we mentioned heavyweights earlier, whatever, but I really do think that. I would rank that top Ben Stiller movie and then Zoolander number two. Rod, you seem you, – you, I know we just had a huge discussion on Meet the Fockers and Meet the Parents. It doesn't crack my top five. I mean, doesn't crack your top five, Ben Stiller? Nope. I do respect. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you just have something against the premise, or do you, you not like the acting? You don't like the directing? You don't like anything, or you just sort of uh, – I mean, I think Zoolander, Meet the Fockers, one, two, and three are oh, all better. And then Heavyweights obviously gets a honorable mention. <laughs> Joe, I know we gotta we gotta hurry this up because I feel like people have something to do. But Joe, what's what's your thoughts on dodgeball? What's your thoughts on it's in, in the uh, Ben Stiller? Dude, if you can dodge a wrench, you can hierarchy. dodge a ball. <laughs> Get torn. Ah, dude, uh, you catches, know it's not, it's not heavyweights, way. but. It's it's a classic for sure. Yeah, can't forget Jason Bateman as a. I forget he's he's up there with with what's his sidekick uh, Bill Lumberg, but it's Cotton O'Weary or something. Cotton Weary. 
I can't remember his name, but he was in the movie we just talked about. For what were we talking about? He was in. Uh, he was in uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah, Talladega Nights. Yeah, he was uh, Ricky Bobby's dad. Yeah. Um, gosh, I cannot remember his Found name. Found the whole rat macabre salad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean no. It, it is a really funny movie. I kind of like. Uh, there's a lot of quotable lines into it because it also has Vince Vaughn, who had sort of the perfect foil to Ben Stiller's sort of insanity, and he sort of has this sort of uh, dry, witty sort of comebacks to every single little weird thing he has to say. So um, I feel like it had a really great Gary balance Cole. in terms of the cast. <laughs> Gary Cole was his name, and you got you got you got you have two uh, Office Space characters. You've got or two actors. You got Gary Cole, and then you have uh, the. What's his name who played Milton? Yeah, I don't know his actual real name. He's probably someone who, who lives a really nice life in terms of anonymity outside of, uh, <laughs> outside Stephen, of Hollywood. Root. Stephen Root. He's in oh, yeah, Stephen Root. No, he's fantastic. He's, he seems like he's just on the verge of being like really popular, but isn't. But like everyone kind of knows who he is, but no one wants to bother him. At least I wouldn't bother him if I saw him now. Um, <laughs> all right. So what we're going to do, we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to... I'm going to wrap it up with the uh, number one movie because I, um, at least my number one movie, excuse me, but I did just mention this about five minutes ago, but my number one sports movie is going to be Happy Gilmore. I feel like it's sort of like, did that movie tick, uh, tip off sort of Adam Sandler's career or was did Billy Madison come first or whatever? Either way. Okay. Either way, I still think it was the one that sort of like set him off into sort of like movie stardom or whatever. Um, probably one of the most quotable Adam Sandler movies of all time. I can't, I don't really care for his career right now, but again, that was sort of like when we were growing up, Adam Sandler, I think was the funniest comedian out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Happy, Gil Happy Gil Gilmore is a great pick. I mean, I, I also loved Waterboy. I thought that one was hilarious. It's just with Happy Gilmore, you've got so many characters that we still quote today. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's y'all, this is, there's so many good movies we haven't even mentioned. It's just, it's, this is a pretty tough marquee pick, but a fun one. What is the, what is the line that the really tall guy's talking about driving the green? And he's like, I bet you can't drive that or something. And he's like, no one can. And then he's it's like, like, Happy Gilmore did it two whole, or like 20 minutes ago or something like that. He was Happy Gilmore achieved that couple no more than 20 minutes ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and he goes, well, why don't I? And like he turns around, and like the dude's got a nail sticking out of his head or whatever. It doesn't he like that's when he like takes the club and bends it. And he goes, oh my god! <laughs> he's like, hey shooter, hope you're not gonna need your nine iron. <laughs> he's, he's Jaws in all the James Bond films. Yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, but yeah, but uh, Schumer Gavin, obviously one of the most classic villains too. Uh, I don't, even, I forget that guy's name or whatever. I really don't care, but he's just plays the best sort of preppy douche guy that you want to punch right in the face. Um, again, if we're talking about in terms of like people who foil one another, we talked about Ben Stiller in terms of Vince Vaughn and Dodgeball, whatever. But Adam Sandler and uh, what is that? Schumer Gavin again, like two perfect foils, whatever. Great, great dynamic between the two. And Julie Bowen's in that movie, who's sort of like the hot woman who, I don't know, like what she did between her career and Happy Gilmore, and then obviously started Modern Family or whatever, but that was a long pause. But uh, great, great yeah. actress in that too. Quite a resurgence. <clears throat> Testament to never giving up, I guess. Uh, Joe, you have any final thoughts before we move on to <laughs> this interview we got with somebody? Uh, that's it. You guys covered it. 
and now to our interview with Aaron Torres. Happy to have Aaron Torres on the show. He's the host, or radio host, National College Basketball Analyst for Fox Sports and also the host of the Aaron Torres podcast. We are so happy to have him on the podcast this week. So we're going to get rolling real quick. We're going to start with some serious college basketball questions, more also about college basketball, but also about your job and how you sort of cover the sport and how it sort of transitioned and transformed over the past few years. So the big news today was Imani Bates, who's one of the top recruits from the most heralded recruits in the past 10 years is what they're saying, just committed to Michigan State. So my question for you, Aaron, is as a national basketball analyst, your job sort of requires you to be able to delegate your time and invest your time wisely into what you want to cover, what you see is important, because you have to cover so much, but you also have to know what's important and what narratives and what stories you want to follow. So with the rise of things like 247 Sports and Rivals.com and recruiting blowing up and with kids being almost borderline celebrities in social media before they even step foot on a basketball court, um, how much have you invested your time in following recruiting in the past couple of years and how much do you see that growing in the future? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, Matt, thanks for having me, man. Uh, yeah, I, I know some movie podcast, but happy to talk some sports. <laughs> you know, uh, it is. Um, you know, listen, I, I think, you know, it's funny, right? I remember sitting with a coach about a year ago, having lunch, whatever, and we were talking about how covering recruiting is almost a completely different job than covering college basketball. But I also think as you cover college basketball, it's your responsibility to follow recruiting and at least the top players, the guys that are going to make a difference uh, in one year on campus. You know, I always say, if the first time as a college basketball kind of quote unquote analyst, you're learning about Cade Cunningham or seeing Cade Cunningham <sighs> is the first time he plays at Oklahoma State or the first time you're watching Sharif Cooper is the day he steps on the court at Auburn, you're behind the eight ball. And so it's crazy how much more, you know, elevated and escalated it has been really over the last even like you said, four or five years as the rise of social media, the rise of Instagram, the fact that so many of these kids uh, do kind of have a big following. Um, it's just one of those deals where, you know, you have to be, um, you know, in tune with what's going on. And am I, uh, you know, am I traveling 300 days a year to watch high school basketball like <laughs> Evan Daniels, like Corey Evans? No, I'm not. But, you know, I, I try to keep up with who the best players are, you know, when they come through where I live in LA, I try to catch them and I try to have a good understanding of who are the 10, 15, 20 high school prospects that are going to make an immediate difference at the college level. Um, and it's just, it's just how the, the sport has changed. Um, and it really is, you know, it's just, it's, it's a different deal altogether, but it's a fun deal. And I really, I really do enjoy it. So. Yeah. So, I mean, just walk me through maybe just your career, maybe five or six years ago. Like, did you like think it was blowing up at the time and you just maybe disregard it or like, I, I don't really know, but I'm just sort of asking, just being curious or whatever. But like, how, how, when did you start seeing it change and when did you start saying, wow, I really, really need to start kind of paying attention to this because people really follow this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I, um, <sighs> um, I would say. Even I, I've always had an interest in, you know, who who's next. Right. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I remember when I was even when I was a kid before I did this, I loved, you know, watching the McDonald's All-American game. And maybe it was the first time that you heard of most of these guys. Now, there was a guy like LeBron James you heard of before, um, you know, before McDonald's All-American game. But, you know, the, the next tier of guys. And so I've always enjoyed it. But I'll tell you, it, it really was. I remember 
I guess it must have been the summer of 2014 where I was at an event where Ben Simmons was at. Um, and at that point, he had already committed to LSU and was going to be ready to go to LSU next year, the following year. And it was the first time I saw him and I was blown away by how good he is. But it was also kind of the deal where, you know, when I started hearing analysts on air, on TV, whatever, kind of fumbling around and kind of trying to explain who he was or what he was about, um, I felt like I had the upper hand on them. And I felt like they weren't. And, you know, it's nobody in specific. I'm not picking on anybody in specific, but <laughs> I, 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 you know, I never felt like. Uh, you know, I felt like I, I felt like they weren't really doing their job. You know, if you don't know who Ben Simmons is as the definitive number one high school player in America, you're not really doing your job. And I'm not saying you have to know every single thing about him, but just the way even his game was described, um, how it was. This and that. I'll, I'll tell you, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I obviously haven't thought about this in a couple of years. But what I think it was, was this is that. Um, if you remember a year or two before, I can't remember now, I think it was one year before Andrew Wiggins had come to play college basketball at Kansas and everyone said he's the closest thing to LeBron since LeBron. And I remember saying at that time, I said, Ben Simmons is actually Ben Simmons came a year later or two years later. And I said, Ben Simmons is actually the closest thing to LeBron since <laughs> LeBron as a seven footer that can handle the ball a great passer. He's obviously not a great shooter. LeBron wasn't a great shooter when he was in high school either. So I think that's really when it, it hit me is that if I want to do this job, uh, you know, I can't just wait until a Ben Simmons, a Brandon Ingram, a Jason Tatum, a Lonzo ball, uh, a Cade Cunningham, a Sharif Cooper. I can't wait until those guys to step on campus before I really get to know them, their game, the people around them, as much information as I can. And so I would say about four, five, six years ago, that's when it really changed for me. All right, cool. So um, I kind of want to stay in the same lane here because you talk to a lot of coaches, and this is sort of just getting it from a different perspective. But like we just talked about, Imani Bates, who's I think just a rising junior, right? But uh, coaches yeah. coaches, and uh, recruit kids as early as seventh and eighth grade, right? So they invest a ton of time, not only just getting to know kids, but getting to know their families getting like spend not spending their own money, but spending big sums of money from the recruiting budgets to like put time and effort into getting these kids. So over four years, five years an investment, an emotional investment, a time investment, whatever. But how does it feel like you've talked to tons of coaches? This is why I kind of ask you this. So from their perspective. So I know they'll say always say the diplomatic thing and they know that it's just part of the game or whatever. But with that much time and energy invested in the players and when someone signs somewhere else, does it actually sting them more than they let on? Or how does that affect them? You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's actually really funny because, you know, I think that, I think that for the most part, most coaches kind of know before a commitment happens, if they're really in the running or not. And you'd be, you would laugh, Matt, if you found it, you know, the number of people that I talk to that, you know, uh, they'll make a kid's final five or a final seven. You know, I shared this on my podcast, so I'm not afraid to admit it here. But, you know, Mac McClung, the really highly rated transfer, um, after he committed to Texas Tech, I, I reached out to a buddy of mine who was on a staff that was in his final seven. And they said, you know, I said, oh, you know, um, you know, uh, you know how you got up today. You know, how did you think he fit? Blah, blah, blah. And my buddy was like, honestly, we weren't even really recruiting him that hard. You know, we like, <laughs> we made, 
yeah, we made a few phone calls. We wanted to see what he was about. And, you know, frankly, he's a really talented player. And this coach was not disrespectful at all. He said he's a really talented player, but we just didn't really know where, where we fit in. And we weren't even really trying to recruit him that hard. And so when when you get to a final five, I think three of those coaches probably have a pretty good idea that they're not in the mix. It it feels very rare now that you have a true surprise. Now, there are always exceptions to the rule. There was a kid this past year named Josh Christopher who was, you know, consensus top 15, top 20 prospect. And, you know, right up until the final day, everyone thought he was going to end up at Michigan. And he ends up committing to Arizona State. And so there are certainly times and moments where a, a coaching staff is caught on guard, where it does hurt, um, where you invest all this time and energy. But you also know that you're probably um, behind either another team or if you're recruiting a really good player that has pro options, that they might be pursuing a pro option. So I would say in general, it's actually probably not as bad as you think, but there are some of them that hurt. There are definitely some of them like that. So you kind of just brought this up. So let's talk about just what happened with Imani Bates today. So Tom Izzo has definitely been recruiting him since he was in eighth grade, right? He's still going to keep recruiting him all the way until he graduates high school. But there's a very strong possibility he either, you know, the restriction of the NBA is going to change or he'll just go to the G League. What's it like to sort of, like I said, like almost, or let's just say he's one and done and he goes, uh, it almost feels like you spend five years recruiting this person and then you only get nine months out of them. And I know yeah. it's totally worth it or whatever, but do they like sort of feel that irony or do I, I, mean, I don't even know if it's ironic or the right word, but it almost just feels like you spend so much time and there's the possibility of getting so little time out of it. I mean, you get a reward in terms of you get a really talented kid, but it just feels so weird that you could spend yourself three or four years covering this kid and then he never even plays college basketball and he's off your radar, you know, but it's still a story you got to follow. But it's just weird that you might follow him and you never actually get to cover him and what you're supposed to be covering. No, hundred percent. And it goes back to, you know, keeping a pulse on high school basketball where, yeah, you know, Jalen green, you know, I'll tell you, you know, RJ Hampton, I interviewed his dad two, three, four times during the recruiting process. I still text him sometimes. I really enjoyed our conversations. I really enjoyed everything that he had to say, um, you know, it is a little weird, but you know, I, I think what it really is, is, you know, being in the media is kind of like being a coach in that, you know, you build relationships with people. And so, you know, even though I never kind of quote unquote covered RJ Hampton in a traditional sense, it doesn't mean that, you know, I still won't hit up his dad just to kind of see how he's doing. And I, I think I'll probably do that into the future, you know? Yeah. I and, mean, so, and I think, Go on. What were you saying? Oh, I was just gonna, I, I just realized I was probably being really short-sighted and then you like just like what you were explaining and yeah, you put a lot of investment into getting to know these people and it can pay back forward like when he's a pro, you might get an interview with him because you were so nice to him or whatever when when he was in high school or something like that. I guess I was just sort of kind of just thinking in terms of now and immediate impact. But no, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. I just probably didn't think of it correctly. Yeah. And I would just add as far as the, um, you know, as far as the, the coaches are concerned, you know, most, most, most. Now, listen, I, I will say this, right, is that there are plenty of guys every year that. So I think like the one and done is a little different than everything else, right? Like if you're recruiting Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, whoever, you know, you're only getting one year out of them and it is what it is. But like I just said a minute ago, you can continue to build that relationship. Where I think I do think coaches get frustrated is when you spend those two, three, four years recruiting a kid, they get to campus and, you know, and they're not 
playing six months in and they decide to transfer. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's like, dude, we spent all this time and I told you from day one. And I think most coaches are legit about this. There, there are, you know, plenty that don't tell the truth. But I think there's a lot of coaches that, that you know, will tell a kid day one, hey, I don't know if there's going to be a starting spot. You can go out and compete and earn it and whatever. Um, and I think that's where coaches would get frustrated if a kid was going to transfer. I know that, you know, when there are kids that, you know, I think uh, also when there are kids like in the professional realm as far as, you know, maybe they're a junior and the coach knows they're not going to get drafted. And I think the kid in their heart of hearts knows they're not going to get drafted. But some agent gets in their ear and says, I can help you and come train with me in L.A. for a couple months and we'll get you, you know, ready to go. So I think those are the things that bother coaches more, you know, recruiting an elite player. Like I said, I think you kind of know what what you're getting into going in. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, there are certainly moments where coaches get frustrated with the kid. And the thing is, too, what I would just say really quick on that is I can't speak for every single situation. But in most cases, it's not the coach mad that the kid is screwing over the program because he's leaving or because of this or because of that. It's because there's a lot of times that kids just make mistakes and you shouldn't go pro because you're not going to get drafted and you're going to be, you know, competing in the G League with, you know, a bunch of other guys for a two way contract or, you know, you shouldn't transfer because that's not a better situation for you. But somebody convinced you that they have. I don't think it's a like you screwed us kind of deal as much as it is like uh, you're really kind of screwing yourself in the long term kind of deal, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So I got one more question here and then we'll play like this little tiny quick game where you tell me what coaches like I've got some characters that are like movie characters and you sort of relate them to a coach or whatever. But one last question and we'll move on to that and I'll be real quick. So um, so we kind of talked about recruiting. So this is sort of piling onto that, just talking about building a program. So. Um, in a traditional sense, when like this is an ongoing and never ending message board argument, I'm sure you've read all these before. But so when you, message boards about football or whatever, the traditional stance on this is like, how long do you give a coach before you start putting the heat on him or before he like deserves to get fired? They usually say four years, right? Because that gets all of his recruits, like four years of full recruiting cycle for him. But in basketball, with kids transferring and kids leaving for drafts, so and like roster management is so much different. Um, what do you think the proper time is for a coach? I know every single coaching job is different, so the context is definitely important. But how much do you think it should be four years for a coach before he gets heat on him, or should or is it should be smaller because there's so much turnover in college basketball? Yeah, I think, and you're right. Football is so different, and you know, I covered college football for years at FoxSports.com, and it's like you know, you, you kind of know. Um, by like the middle of year two, you kind of know if it's going in the right direction, but it probably really isn't fair. Like even Willie Taggart got fired last year at Florida State, and I really felt like I know it's Florida State. I know it should be better, but it didn't feel like they really gave him enough time. But college basketball is so different because there's so many variables, Matt, is it, is it, it isn't any one thing. You know, you can recruit really, you know, you can be a great regular season team, lose early in the tournament. And if you're at a Kentucky, you know, Billy Gillespie gets two years, um, you know, he misses, he makes an NCAA tournament. He misses an NCAA tournament. He's out, you know, at uh, Ole Miss, Kermit Davis makes an NCAA tournament, misses an NCAA tournament. Nobody even bats an eyelash at it, you know, and um, and then it could be the opposite. You could be uh, I live in L.A. and Steve Lavin at UCLA was notorious for this years ago 
of the team would struggle out of the gate. They wouldn't be very good. Maybe he was his year's version of Mike White. And then they would get into the tournament and they would make the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight and be like, well, you can't fire Steve Lavin. He just made an Elite Eight or he just made a Sweet 16. It'd be like, yeah, but he was 19 and 12 and he was an 11 (laughs) seed uh, and he rallied. And so basketball is so much different, man. It's just it's just. Football, I really believe, I think you're right. You really need four years. I can understand three in a lot of situations. I don't agree with Chad Morris and Willie Taggart in year two getting the heave-ho. But basketball, there's just so many variables where, um, you know, you could, like I said, you could, you could, um, you know, uh, be awesome in the regular season. But if you don't win in the tournament at some places, that's not enough. Uh, like a UCLA, as I just used as an example. There are other places where you can be terrible during the regular season. They're ready to run you out. You make one tournament, you make a sweet 16, they'll keep you around for the rest of the uh, rest of your career. So it really does just matter kind of a, on a case by case basis. Yeah. But also just like it, it, if we're talking about just roster turnover is more kind of what I was getting at. Cause like Kentucky, for example, you brought Kentucky up. John Cal Perry will lose almost his whole roster year to year, but he has to recruit to keep on replenishing it. But like, do you understand? Like, so you can go into a situation and theoretically have an amazing team in one year, but you sort of have to keep it up in terms of it's almost like a Ponzi scheme in a sense. You just have to keep on get, keep on getting more and more recruits to keep on for the next year. So, I, you know, it, it's 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 just different approaches, I guess, to building a program. And I was just curious, like, in your conversations with coaches, uh, I know they all can't beat John Calipari, but like, what do they think in terms of like how quickly they can get like a solid group of players in? If that makes sense. Yeah. No, just every place is different, man. I mean, every place is different. I mean, and what's crazy about college basketball, I talk about this all the time, you know, a place like Virginia, um, who has won a crap ton of ACC regular season titles, a crap ton of ACC tournament titles. They don't even recruit the same players as Kentucky. And like, that's kind of crazy to think about, right? Like, Like, think about college football, like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. They're probably a cut above everybody else over the last four or five years they're all basically recruiting the same guys. Right. And like, you know, some are going to choose Ohio state. Some are going to choose Clemson. Some are going to choose somewhere else, but they're all kind of recruiting the same guys. And so, you know, to, to, for Tony, for John Kelly to, to build a solid foundation for him. I mean, it literally took him three weeks, right? He got yeah. DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe and John Wall in a three week period. And they had a top five team based on who they had coming back. You know, Tony Bennett, it might take four years to build that foundation, but then it's really solid and there isn't kind of the votality, but validity is uh, the, the, you know, the volatile nature of it. I don't know what the right word is there, but, you know, it's not as volatile. Yeah. So it's just it really is. Everything's different. You know, some guys just want to win or build differently. um, And every place is just a little bit different. It really, really is. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you answering these questions. I got four quick things. I know you got to go, but this will be really quick and just sort of make it sort of wrap it up a little bit in terms of since, like you said, this is a movie podcast. So it's going to be four little quick things. Just give me your top answer, whatever comes first in your head. So uh, we know that you love Wedding Crashers, and we kind of talked about this in one of our conversations before. But so and Vince Vaughn's character meets a woman one time, and he, he describes her as a stage five clinger. So which AD, you can talk about college basketball or college football, obviously, uh, didn't realize what they were getting into with a coach, got in bed with him, and then real, and then quickly realized that he's desperate to get rid of that person, that he might call them a stage five clinger. 
I told you this. The first one that came to mind was Will Champ. I think, you know, and it was, if you want to use the same analogy, I think they rushed into it. People forget this, but uh, South Carolina thought they had Kirby Smart signed, sealed, and delivered. Oh, um, and, you know, jo- yeah, Georgia fires Mark Richt, and, or Georgia fires Mark Richt, yep, and they hire Kirby Smart, and all of a sudden, you know, South Carolina, rather than doing their due diligence, rushed into the relationship with Will Muschamp, and I think probably two, two and a half years in, probably even before that, but uh, not long after they got in, I think they realized that they were in a situation <laughs> they didn't want to be. So, yeah, I would say for sure Will Muschamp, to me, uh, would certainly qualify as a stage five clinger. And yeah, the, the AD at South Carolina was Vince Vaughn. He'd be doing everything he can to get rid of him. <laughs> All right. So in old school, Will's Ferrell, Will Ferrell's character is Frank the Tank, and he's completely docile and boring when he's sober, but he becomes a maniac when he drinks. So which coach would you say has the biggest discrepancy in their on-court per, uh, persona versus their off-court persona? So who's wild on the court, but like a total calm person off the court kind of thing, sort of almost like polar opposites? You know who's actually like that? And I don't know if he'd be mad at me for saying this, but Mick Cronin at, at UCLA, formerly of Cincinnati. Um, I don't I, I don't even know how many people really know much about him, but he is a fiery, intense guy uh, on the court. The court, he's the nicest guy in the world. And he just, you know, you just, it, it's calm. And, you know, he's very, um, you know, he's very, you know, he's a very passionate person about, you know, what he believes in and all that stuff. And, but he's one of my favorite guys to really just sit down and chat with, uh, you know, outside of basketball and just, you know, how are you? What's new? How's life? How's this? How's your daughter doing this and that? Um, but when he gets between those white lines, he is, uh, I don't know if lunatics, the right word, I don't know if he's mad at me, but he is, com- he is completely different. I will say that. Okay. All right. So this one you might want to pass, but, uh, so, uh, this one is, so in 10 cup, Roy McAvoy, Roy McAvoy tells Rene Russo's character that David Sims, his sort of like antagonist is the only a nice guy in front of the cameras, but he actually hates old people, oh, children, perfect. and dogs. So which coach it. plays up to the media the most, but is also, but probably a little bit disingenuous in their real life. Well, the, the obvious answer is this, and I'll, I'll use the Roy McAvoy, David Sims analogy is, I don't know how closely you would pay attention to it, but Kentucky fans will tell you John Calipari gets in a little nudge at coach K every time he can, like basically <laughs> saying, don't believe everything this guy says. Now I've never personally had any one-on-one interactions with coach K. I think some of the stuff he's done in the past is a little lame with the, you know, I was actually at the arena the night when he tried to, you know, lecture Dylan Brooks in the layup line that was at Anaheim in the sweet 16. I was actually at that game about 10 feet from where it happened. You know, he had the thing with Jeff Capel last year, which was weird, but I'll tell you this. If you want to use that analogy, I think John Calipari, there's been four or five little comments over the last couple of years that, you know, he's kind of poking the bear a little bit. So I'll let John Calipari do the speaking for me. All right. Damn. That was good. I like that. So last one, and then we'll let you go. I really appreciate your time. So in Waterboy. Coach Klein used to be a maverick genius play caller, but then completely lost his touch. Who's a coach that had a bunch of hype and being sort of a revolutionary genius, but then completely dropped off and is forgotten about? Well, one, it's kind of Will Muschamp. I already answered it. (laughs) Forever. I mean, dude, he was the defensive coordinator and he kept holding out and, you know, he kept turning down jobs because it was like he was waiting for the perfect job. He got it at Florida. You know, the other one I'll say right now, and it's probably, you know, I've just referenced the basketball coach at this school, but it's probably Chip Kelly, man, is like, dude, never forget. 
Chip Kelly turned the only reason Dan Mullen is at Florida and Dan Mullen's been awesome at Florida is because Chip Kelly and Scott Frost turned them both down. Dan Mullen was the third choice at the University of Florida. Um, and there was a legitimate bidding war for Chip Kelly. And he actually took a little bit less money because he wanted to be on the West Coast. He didn't want to be in that fishbowl in the SEC. Um, and it just hasn't worked. And like, you know, and the weird thing about Chip Kelly is he's like weirdly defiantly stubborn about how he's doing things of, you know, people asking him, you know, why aren't you doing what you did at Oregon? He said, it's 10 years ago. Why would I do? Why does why would anyone do anything they were doing 10 years ago? Things evolve. Things change. And I mean, Chip Kelly was just, you know, this Matt, I mean, you're a freaking Auburn fan. You know, Chip Kelly better than anybody is, you know, Michael Dyer's one knee away from Chip <laughs> Kelly national yeah. championship coach. And it's like that guy was, I mean, so far ahead of his time. And now it just feels like, dude, everybody's running tempo. Everybody, you know, has those smaller, speedier backs and, um, you know, with receivers and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it is crazy to live here. You know, I host the Fox Sports Radio Saturday show recap. So UCLA is playing a lot of late West Coast games when I'm on air. And it's just surreal to see the team and how much they're struggling um, and how, you know, just Chip Kelly has just seems to completely lost his fastball. Do you think he's lost it or do you think he's just not as passionate anymore? Like he sort of made it like he got his NFL gig. He sort of, you know, whatever. And it didn't work out. But he sort of I think he reached almost the epitome of what he wanted out of coaching. And now he's just sort of maybe cashing it in. Or do you think he's just just kind of being lazy or like, what, what, do you think he's sort of lost it or maybe it's just a little mixture of both? I think he just thinks that, you know, his way is eventually going to work. But the thing is, and I say this all the time with with a Kirby Smart and with a Jeremy Pruitt and with whatever is, you, you know, Nick Saban gets to act the way he acts because Nick Saban gets Nick Saban results. And what I mean yeah. by that is Nick Saban's kind of a jerk to the media, which is fine. I'm in the media, <laughs> I'm over it, whatever. But. Nick Saban wins 12 and a half games every year, somewhere between, you know, 12 and 14 games every year. You can act that way when you're Jeremy Pruitt. And I know he had a good second half of the season and you're losing <laughs> to Georgia State and BYU. You can't <laughs> act like Nick Saban. And so I don't you know, I don't really get the sense that Chip Kelly is like lost his motivation. I do think he was beat down a little bit. And so I don't know exactly why i don't know him personally well enough to know what his thinking is but he listen he seems to think it's going to work we just i just haven't seen anything that makes me really that confident that it is actually going to work all right man well i know you gotta go i really appreciate you giving those candid answers and getting on our podcast or whatever so i uh, really really appreciate it and uh thanks a lot uh, all right thanks matt have a good afternoon okay you too man
You know it's a dawn Just sending a shout out to my boy Rabbi Toast Boy, I miss blowing O's of that Afghani thunder Fuck with you, man Time and time again It's like I'm locked on the couch Nug sticky than a beehive You know where to get that Crown College Lodge Flow 5 
And I never said a word, man. Fuck the pigs, stop snitching. Fuck them bitches. Wearing wires, telling all people, man. Stop snitching. Hey, say done. Yeah. Choke toast. I remember how big of a joke it was. Slinging butt all over the peninsula. Everybody wanting sticky trees, man, please. That straight crunch of vibrations Keep you high for hours I love the puff sour Man, it feels so good Yeah, yeah Baby, I miss you I miss you so bad Sweet baby sativa I wish I still had Baby, I miss you Oh, I miss you so bad Sweet sativa Oh, I wish I still had Baby, I miss you I miss you so bad Sweet baby sativa I wish I still had Baby, I miss you Oh, I miss you so bad Oh, I wish I still had